Hello, welcome back to Overseas Overheard. My name is Koto Katayama. I'm a sophomore film major from Japan. I used to be the producer of this podcast, but since Cassie Cole had to step down, I'm your new host for the time being. Because for this episode, I asked someone else to host an interview. Okay, let me explain. So, this episode is called Overseas Blind Date, and one side of the date is a domestic student who will be the interviewer. The other side is an international student who is the interviewee. The conversation will be pretty casual, so they'll get to know each other better. That's the date part. And then the blind part is because they don't know each other prior to this interview, they only know their names. Now, let me briefly introduce our host and the interviewee. First, our international student today is Ubonga Basiasuko, a sophomore bio major and anthropology minor from Nigeria. You'll see later that she's such an affectionate and smart person, but she's also one of the most active people on campus. She works for the admissions office as a campus tour guide. She also works for the Center for Global Engagement, which is basically the office for international students. And she's the vice president of student life in student council. The list goes on and on. And then there's Jack, Jack Braun, who is equally awesome. Jack is our interviewer in this blind date. He's a first year prospective English major from New York. You'll hear him talking later, but his voice is out of this world. You know why? Because he's a singer songwriter. One of his latest songs, Black Nail Polish, almost has 10,000 streams on Spotify, and all his songs are to die for. Anyways, now you must be curious how this blind date between Jack and Ubon went. All right, I'll let Jack take over. Hi, I'm Jack. Um, you want to tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what your major is, and any special interests or a fun fact? Hi, Jack. My name is Ubong.、Um, my full name is Ubong Abasi. I'm currently a sophomore, biology major, anthropology minor. I'm from Nigeria, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. Awesome. Also, just like the fact that you are a bio or like anthropology major minor is like impressive to me as it is because like I'm not a STEM person and like. It's interesting to me, but I just don't understand how people do it. So, like, I don't know. It's impressive. I、me. feel like STEM kids, we get too much hype. Honestly. I mean, everyone does so much good work, though. You know? I mean, I'm not going to deny that, like, I do love humanities and, like, arts and whatever.、Um, <laughs> but I don't know. STEM feels like just. Also, a lot of my family is, like,、um, scientists and doctors. And it's like, so, like, how do they. Whatever. So, how this is my question for like a lot of international students, and it might be a、mm-hmm. stupid question, but like, how did you find a small college in the middle of Ohio from Nigeria? That's a very good question. So,、um, I think I just have to trace back a bit of my educational history because that、mm-hmm. will contextualize how I did come to find Kenyon. So, I schooled for quite some time in Nigeria. Then I moved to South Africa to finish up my high school and I attended、um, the African Leadership Academy. I am obsessed with the people I went to school with there.、Um, it was an amazing, like, an amazing educational institution and we really took a little bit of time to learn like, entrepreneurial things and leadership things and also 
like normal stuff like math and chem and all our friends. So I had a counselor there. Her name is Miss Dory. And I remember when I went to her office and I was like, oh, Miss Dory, no, I'm beginning to start the college process and I'm thinking of going to the U.S. And she asked me, well, what kind of school do you want to go to, right? And I told her I wanted to go to a school that was small because I really enjoyed, like, you know, those one-on-one connections I had with my teachers. But I wanted to go to a place that people did not really fixate on their grades all the time. You know, they cared about other things. They were passionate about, like, very mundane things as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even kidding because Miss Dory raised her hands up in the air and she said, Ubon, go to Kenya. Like, that is the most <laughs> excited I've seen her in my life. <laughs> And I was like, you know, where is Kenyan? Who is Kenyan? Because no one from my high school had ever been there before. And then I spoke to um, Thomas Stanton, who interviewed me. And once I got off the call, I was like, sorry, I'm going to Kenya. <laughs> and I applied ED and I ended up here. Yeah. 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 I also, when I first heard of Kenyan, I was like, who is that? What? Like, I had no idea. But yeah, it's, it's cool yeah. that it's sort of, I don't know, how things work oh. out like that. What was your childhood like? What was your family? There's a word for that that I can't think of. What was your, yeah, what was your childhood like? Or that's such a vague question. Actually, this is, yeah, it's a a funny question because I am one of those kids that the parents did not plan for, but we showed up anyway. And my mom... (laughs) thinking I was going to be a boy so <laughs> when I did they were like she's like yeah. oh my gosh like really <laughs> um I my brother who is the so we are five five four girls mm-hmm. and one boy five children all together so um my siblings were like already in high school some were already in university so when I was starting out everyone was so much in my business and they still are mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's it's really cool to be like the young one living living the experiences. Um, yeah, that's- I totally get that. I'm the oldest in my family, mm-hmm. and my 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 younger brother is seven years younger than me. Oof. And yeah, he's adopted. Um, I don't know. More recently, I think when I when I left for Kenyan, and he sort of is here, and I came back like three months later, and he really just sort of grew up in those three months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In He's like, oh, he's 12 now, like sort of a like, rebellious teenager phase. It's cute until he gets like really rebellious and like, you know, <laughs> really like angsty. Was, was there sort of a culture shock coming to America? I had to do a lot of work of just taking all the preconceptions I've had about the U.S. and Americans and doing a lot of yeah. learning. I think people always say, oh, you like you. You assume things, but I had to learn quite a bit. Right. Like one of the biggest things for me was definitely like sandwiches are considered full meals because. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's always small know. things like that that you don't expect, I guess. Right. I was like, yeah. it's, it's a snack. Why are we eating <laughs> subs as lunches? Yeah. It's, you know, it was actually the very small things because I think. Um, for me, since I already lived away from home, this was like, you know, moving and getting yourself settled was not like the big part of things for me. It was just like the everyday transitioning things, mm-hmm. like getting a SIM card and whatever that means, you know, social mm-hmm. security and things like that. Mm-hmm. Just the everyday things that you need to solve. And I was like, wow, there is so much I need to learn. Um, but I think it was also comforting to know that people were confused as much as I was. Yeah. <laughs> when I spoke to all of my international folks and saying, oh, they're like, oh, well, we're, all of us are down yeah. in the trenches <laughs> as well. 
Yeah. That made me feel much, much less alone. Um, and now I'm like, oh, you know, it's fine. <laughs> Going off of the sort of sandwich tangent, how is the food culture um, in the U.S.? sort of <laughs> are you getting me started on this like right I'm, i want to hear all about it i really do because food is such an interesting cultural thing too like yes. i also grew up in a jewish household um mm. and you know like and i went to a jewish day school you know i was surrounded by jewish people for a lot of my life in new york and then coming to ohio and sort of having the holidays away from my family for the first time um and ha- food is such a big part also it's of jewish huge. holidays and that was a bit of a shock to me, so I can only imagine what it would have been like coming from a totally different country with a very different, like, food culture, I guess. Yeah. Um, this summer and over quarantine, I spent quite a lot of time developing a cookbook um, and finding oh, substitutes so cool. for, like, Nigerian dishes in the U.S., started learning, like, more Chinese-American cuisine, um, even some Mexican cuisine as well. Like as much as I could learn, I really, I started really learning. And my mom mm-hmm. is like, I don't know why <laughs> you're so invested. And I'm like, it makes me happy. You know, it's, it's very therapeutic for me. So I do it. Um, it's, it's like food and language are one of the cornerstones of culture mm-hmm. that once you come into a space, it's one of the things that you really have to adjust to. And I joke all the time that Americans just put salt and black pepper and things. And that is the truth. Um, mm-hmm. Anytime I check, like if they, if someone recommends a cuisine to me and they say, oh, it's maybe garlic parmesan, something like that, right? It's literally salt, black pepper, <laughs> tons of garlic, and maybe parmesan, and then maybe if they are feeling a little bit bourgeois, they sprinkle a little bit of red pepper flakes on there. <laughs> my friends at Kenyan, um, who like my, my my good friends, my good friend whose parents are from China made fun of me for putting salt and pepper on all of my food um i'm like it's not weird it's just like i really like salt (laughs) but to be to be fair the pasta at pierce was very lacking in flavor and there were not a lot of spices available so we had to make do with what we had yeah what was the impact of i'm always curious about this too and other people uh who grew up in other countries like what is the Mm -hmm. impact of seeing all of these pop stars from america Mm-hmm. Now they have so much, you know, prevalence on the continent because of globalization as well. Like it, it makes you feel good that you're listening to something that someone else is listening to like millions of miles away and you mm-hmm. can share like that common interest with that person. I remember growing up listening to Britney Spears. My sister would play <laughs> Toxic on repeat for yes, days, like such my a good song. sister. <laughs> and I still listen to Britney Spears. Like I, I have a Britney marathon. I no shame in that. <laughs> Okay, so I was told to ask you about, I was told, I was, it was suggested that I ask you about the concept of marriage in Nigeria. Oh. I don't know much about that. Um, so if you want to just fill me in really quick, mm. we like the rundown. Dang, this is, <laughs> from pop culture to marriage, we're really. Yeah, you know. well, I mean, you know, um, Kim and Kanye might be getting a divorce and that's pop culture and marriage. So I feel like that's sort of a segue, right? Look at you now bringing in <laughs> nice I'm, I'm, writer, you see. <laughs> I'm moving all the, what? He reminds me of writing, just like letting the ideas flow. <laughs> I was in the news this morning. It's totally relevant. <laughs> yeah, it was. I woke up this morning to see it. it was, <laughs> me too. It made me a little bit sad, honestly. Yeah. Like, hey. I don't know about, um, I don't make me sad. I guess I'm a little, maybe sad. Maybe I'm maybe I a little sad. Yeah, you know? because... 
I think my fear is for the children. That's like yeah, it's always because they are so young and they are. I so saw a many. tweet this morning that said like Kanye is gonna be like a crazy divorced dad, and I was like, yeah, I can see that. So, no anyways, on that. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to talk about that any more than we need to. <laughs> Marriage. Um, tell me, yeah, are there any sort of expectations or like ideas? It makes me really happy that we're already having these conversations very early. Like, well, like Nigerian Twitter is such a good place to be, you guys. It's <laughs> so much fire in there. I believe that. And <laughs> someone made a comment about, of course, marriage, because relationships are always being talked about there. And the person was like, oh, you know, if you are not sure if someone is, you know, the one for you, you should test them. Like, you know, make them cook, clean, or... <laughs> And I was like, what is this behavior? <laughs> Didn't yeah. we leave this in 2020? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and of course, people, people were very upset, you know. They were like, oh, no, we should not even be talking about this. People can like, a good relationship is not really built on gender roles anymore. Marriages are not built on love alone. Like, there is commitment, there is loyalty, like, emotional maturity. Right, right. Like, you know, all these different things are really going to it, and I'm glad people are having these conversations now because when I what I saw growing up that was not the case. It was a very right, very like oh, once you get married, you did this, you did that, you did this, you had to. Yeah, change. and I guess I can relate to that in a sense because growing up, mm-hmm. I'm you know I'm gay and there weren't many instances of, I didn't see a lot of that kind of representation, in mainstream media in America mm-hmm. or really anywhere for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then when gay mar- marriage was legalized, you know, technically in America what 2016 that was sort of a shift mm-hmm. um but still there's the sort of expectations that people have and the sort of um yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and it's interesting to see that sort of landscape change um it's, it is interesting are there any other local or community-wide or country-wide issues in nigeria that you think that people just elsewhere aren't aware of yeah definitely the biggest thing um that is happening in Nigeria um, that started early, I think, October, was yeah. like the SARS protest, yeah. uh, the police brutality protest. And it was just, like, honestly, for that whole month, I was a shadow. It was incredibly difficult to be in the U.S., actively experiencing what was happening in the U.S. And then also <laughs> at yeah. home was in shambles. And I was like, what is this? Like... <laughs> Why is the world just literally breaking before my eyes? And I think it just, it also was very painful that a lot of, a lot of my American friends, a lot of people were not also aware of what was happening. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll be like, oh, you know, how is home? And I'm like, have you not seen the news? People have been dying for <laughs> for months now. So, yeah. but at the same time, you know, like the US media didn't carry, like only like CNN made a report on it. Um, I think BBC like did like a flash, like two days coverage of the protest. Uh-huh. Um, so at the end of the day, you really ask yourself like, do people even have access to this information? It's really- and I took quite a bit of time that that whole period to just like put up things on my Instagram. I started like a little mm-hmm. highlight on my page to be like, this is what you can do, this is what you can't, you can't do or you can't say or asking me to recount the trauma to you, like you know. Just these very basic things that kept happening over and over again. Um, so moving on from that, I guess, what are some larger or broader issues that you're most passionate about? <laughs> yes, I'm currently a bio major. 
future. But what yes. I'm really um, I'm interested in is public health. What I want to help to achieve, um, both in Nigeria and also on the African continent, is health equity. Is to ensure that if you know you wake up, you should be able to have access to a doctor within at least 15, 30 minutes from where you mm-hmm. live. Because I know people who have to drive, like back at home, have to drive at least three hours. You know, yeah. and when they go, they are sitting in the line, and sometimes mm-hmm. they don't even have the money to even afford. You know, the consultation at the end of the day, so they have to see maybe a junior nurse, so they have to see someone like go like to a quack pharmacist or things like that. You know. So um, mm-hmm. just making those structural long-term changes of what it means for healthcare to be accessible, for what it means to healthcare to be affordable as well are the things that I, I really am passionate about in general. Um, I was hoping you could speak really briefly about like local organizing um, and the importance of, I don't know, doing this like really important work like uh, healthcare and sexual and reproductive healthcare and just sort of that stuff as somebody who grew up in Nigeria instead of say someone from like New York who went to Kenyan and then moves to Nigeria I guess to try and help that mm-hmm. to do that's yeah that's very important because this is something that in my last history class that I, I took the history of public health I wrote a paper on because um like for example the big umbrella bodies we think of UNICEF, Peace Corps, WHO they always it's almost like a top-down approach. You know, they come with a blueprint of what they think should be done. Like, for example, the rollback malaria campaign. This is, this is getting very specific, mm-hmm. but I have to give very specific examples. Yeah, go for it. Um, and I remember volunteering for that campaign, and my mom also worked on the campaign. And we found out that, you know, we were giving nets to people. We are asking them to cut their grasses, to move stagnant water, which are, like, the things that cause, um, that allow mosquitoes to breed, and then you can have right. malaria, right? Yeah. Um, but then what we failed to do is that we did not address why people did not have access to things like malaria drugs and why they did not even know what was causing malaria in the first place, you know. And also, like, the cultural and the religious differences that exist within different communities and how that plays a role in what it really means for health to be affordable and accessible. Like, for example, a very good example is the, um, like the Ebola pandemic, the epidemic that mm-hmm. happened in Liberia, right? And um, when the WHO came came into the play, they were like, oh, we should burn all the bodies of people who were infected. But Which, then what they did not do was that they did not think about what the burial rights of those people were. You know, they just right. came in, took the bodies and burned them. And people were like, what is it? Like, you know, people felt insulted. So I've not seen my, my, like my father in weeks. He has been sick and now he's dead. I cannot even like pay homage. I cannot pay respect. I cannot do all these kind of things. So just taking the time to do the work of research, living with those people, understanding why they respect these traditions and why they respect these cultures and how that plays into like the healthcare that they can afford or the healthcare they even want to take. And dealing with those different layers, not with not with an intent to like shame them for having these thoughts because they are their own they are their own people and they have lived with this for for centuries, but in an attempt to understand, you know. Is there anything else that you think we missed or anything you want to add or anything just to say for fun? Well, I just want to say, you know, it's really fun that this podcast is a thing. Um, I was very excited when Koto emailed me. I was like, oh, absolutely. Um, Because, you know, having 
documentation of the experience of all like the international students who pass through this community and how they have changed and how this school has also changed them is it's a very it's a very nice thing to have yeah. you know, we can hold on to it for posterity <laughs> yeah i also had no clue what to expect when i got that email i was like you want me to host a podcast i don't have much experience with that but i don't know i had a really lovely time talking with you And I was told not to like follow you on Instagram before this or like figure out who you were, but I will figure that out after (laughs) we hang up, I guess. Have a great afternoon. You too, darling. Bye-bye. Bye. So Jack, how was it talking to Ubon? I don't know why I was like nervous at first. I think I just get nervous talking to people that I like don't know. But um, I definitely wasn't, I was like, you know, what if I say the wrong thing and it's like being recorded and you catch me on tape saying, I don't know, I don't know what I could have said. Just like, I hate you. I don't know. Um, but I think that was a really nice conversation that I don't get to engage in. You know, I have, you know, friends who are international students, but not close friends, I guess. And also not friends that I can speak to about that kind of stuff just like on the daily, you know, like, definitely, you know, they're interesting conversations to be had. So that was Jack and Uban. Personally, I loved how Jack was so shy at the beginning. But then when they were talking about Kim Kardashian and Kanye West, they were like two besties gossiping. Also, I want to plug that I think Jack's newest, newest song, I Had Gay Sex With God, is already out by the time this episode is out. So check it out. Anyways, that's it for the second episode. For the third episode, we'll have another pair of amazing people. So until then, make sure you follow the Overseas Overheard Instagram account and stay tuned. Bye.